Brad Hill here. There is no better way to share a story than around a campfire. And if you are in the Mobile Bay area, there is no better place to get firewood than our friends at Mobile Bay Firewood. This is a family-owned business, and I personally love using their easy-to-light, kiln-dried firewood in my fire pit. So use promo code MBFTSO for $15 off of your next order at mobilebayfirewood.com. Longtime friends of the podcast, the Growly Leather Company is a family-owned leather goods company in southern Alabama. All of their leather goods are designed and handcrafted to come alongside you in your daily life, share in your adventures, and reflect your character. Brian and I both enjoy products from Growly Leather. So visit GrowlyLeather.com and use promo code TSO2022 for a 15% discount at checkout. Find you a leather journal and fill it with stories from the storied outdoors. This is the Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. Awesome. Welcome to the Storied Outdoors. My name is Brad Hill, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Brian Gill. We talk all the time in conversations on this podcast about uh, our love for sitting around a campfire or looking at the dancing flames of a fire in the fireplace. And we're always wondering, what is it about that that's so good? Why does it feel like it's good for you? These continual questions sort of led me uh, to do some digging to see if anyone had done uh, any research maybe uh, in the benefits of, of fire. And uh, so was there I, I guess I was wondering was there clinical proof to uh, our experience that we've we've understood so this took me to the Scotsman I think it, I think that's what it was called it was an article in the Scotsman which I think was a U, like a UK based article and uh, it, it made this claim that looking into a fire basically reduces your blood pressure I was like well that sounds awesome so I'm going to read that and then that introduced me to uh, Dr. Christopher Lind, and uh, Christopher is a professor of anthropology at the University of Alabama. So I'm reading a paper from the UK about a guy here in my home state of Alabama doing research on the very thing that we're super uh, just interested to talk about and hear about. So our guest today, welcome uh, to the Storied Outdoors, Chris, and uh, thanks for joining us today, man. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I love talking about this stuff too. It's, it's, uh, it's quite a treat. Well, being a, you know, you're, you're my neighbor here, so I'm not literal neighbor, but you're over in Tuscaloosa and I'm in, in Birmingham. And so we're, uh, we're not too far away. Um, did I, did I just say a no, no, Brad? <laughs> yeah. Brian is a graduate of the university of Auburn. So, <laughs> uh, well, Brian, I have one child at Auburn and two at Alabama. So where are you hey, going? Well, yeah, man. Well, you, hey, you, we're, this is a house divided here with Brad and me. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is, we're in good company. That's awesome. I love it. But you know, we love uh you know, we love a good fire pit or a campfire or sitting around a hearth, whatever it is. So and part of your research has focused on people gathering around these places. So what drew you into this area? Yeah, so this actually started when I was in grad school. Um I was reading this book. Um well I was reading this article, but the guy wrote a book too. It's called Wondrous Healing. 
And the guy's name is James McLennan, and he is a sociologist. And he was basically making a case for the evolution of religion, um, saying that he thought that the kinds of rituals that people do to influence health, whether or not they're you know, mechanistically connected to physiology or not, just like cause and effect things that people would do to influence health, uh, likely started around in the evening when people were chilling out around fires. And, and, and his, um, his evidence for, or, or his, his thought process was homo erectus uh, were controlling fire probably around 700,000 or more years ago. At the time he wrote that, there was, there was good evidence of that. And he figured the homo erectus that was most uh, calmed by the relaxing effects of fire would be gregarious, easier to get along with, and would get this benefit of like cooperation. And I was like, wait a minute, how do we know Homo erectus was relaxed by the fire? Are we just assuming fire is relaxing to everyone? And then I was like, wait a minute, is fire relaxing to everyone? <laughs> and of course, I'm sitting there reading an article, there's no one to talk right. to. But, um, so I started thinking, well, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I couldn't find any data about the relaxing effects of fire. So as a grad student, I was like, I need to do this study. If I can just show that fires are relaxing or even that not everyone is relaxed by fires, I've got an easy citation, uh, easy publication that everyone who writes about fire uh, like this will, uh, will cite. Now I was studying Pentecostalism and speaking in tongues and um, how that affected relaxation. So it was in one way a far cry from what I was doing, but I was already studying religion and the model that I use, um, basically the idea of measuring some endocrine or physiological marker of something related to a cultural practice is something that I knew how to do. Right. That was something I, I was already doing. So um, I had this idea in my head of, you know, we'll, we'll, this quick and easy study to do. I was in New York at the time. I was think, I knew they had a fireplace in a local mall. And I was thinking we would go and just set up in the local mall, have people stare at the fireplace, get their blood pressure before and after, have them go stare at a wall, get their blood pressure before and after, mix up the conditions um, so that it wasn't just always the one and then or always the other first, right? And then we could, we could do a little bit of comparison. And I never really got that off the ground there but it was the idea I had in my head when I got hired at Alabama and I wanted to start a lab. So the fireside relaxation study uh, is the first study my lab, my human behavioral ecology research group started when I started at the University of Alabama in 2009. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll add this little piece of it. Um, when I started doing the research, um, about a month or two uh, after arriving, an anthropologist from uh, Emory named Mel Connor, who had studied shamanism with the Kung uh, Bushman of the Kalahari years and years ago, had said, you know, uh, I used to do this, these trance rituals around fires. And, um, you know, I, I, I completely understand the hypothesis that you have. It's, you know, like the, the relaxation effect of those fires 
was really, really important. And I have to throw that story in because I just got this in the mail today. Look at that. And this was the title of Mel Connor's article about the relaxing effects of fire. Uh, and with his blessing, I took that title and used it to write the book. And this, That's this is off the press. my first book today. And it has, it's hot off the press and it has some of this fire research in it. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Two or three chapters on fire in there. So, yeah, I'll, that, that will be in my Amazon cart uh, soon. Um, so, so what, so when you started this study, you know, it, Kind of trans make the transition for us from your grad studies to the University of Alabama. What did it teach you? You know, you you, you were kind of doing some um, you know some primitive work, and then you got some really some momentum behind this thing to get to where you are now. So, where um, what have what have we learned? So the way we did this study, we did it in a completely artificial setting, right? So here's the problem with fire, as as we all know, it's hard to control. Um, we can control it, but it's hard to control, keep the temperature steady, the light exactly the same, uh, the spectrum of light, the heat, you know, how close someone sits. Um, when we started thinking about, is fire relaxing? Though, before we thought about any of that, we're like, well, is it looking at the fire? Is it sitting there zoning? Is it playing with the fire? Is it the crackling sound? You know. So we thought, well, it's my guess my hypothesis was that it's a multi-sensory immersive experience. In other words, it's just basically like it's, it's absorbing us as many possible ways as it can. Right. Um, and around the time I started doing this research, um, another anthropologist named Polly Wiesner published a piece, uh, I forget the name of it, but it, it, it came out and I think, um, proceedings in the national academy of science it was a study of the san and uh hunter gatherers in papua new guinea and how they use fire in the daytime versus the nighttime and she pointed out that fire was being used in the daytime in utilitarian ways and it was used in very different ways at night at nighttime people you know they sit down they relax so part of how fire relaxes you is how you allow yourself to be relaxed by the fire so her thinking was well, it's at the end of the day, uh, your your circadian rhythms are going to, you know, they peak in the morning and then they they drop off throughout the course of the day. People's, they're done working. Um, they're, they're really open to sitting down around a fire and communing, right? So something about that evening and all of that, all of those things that were happening are probably influencing it. So she, hmm. she and I were sort of talking about this and we we're sort of, thinking, how can we pull all this apart? So my first study, I was like, well, we're going we're gonna to just control for as many things as we can, right? We're going to put it in a lab. We are just going to have them watch a fire on a computer screen. So I got one of those Yule Log DVD uh, DVDs, yep. <laughs> and they fortunately, they don't all have dumb music on top of them. I found a couple, one, uh, fireplace and one campfire with natural sound. So that was our uh, our fireplace condition. Uh, in the first iteration of the study, I just had two five-minute conditions. Um, they would sit and just watch the fire with no sound or anything else for five minutes and watch a blank computer screen for five minutes. And I'd take the temperature in the room, control for the time of day. Um, and most of the people, they would walk out of there going, you know, oh, that was, that was, that was fun. It was nice to have 10 minutes just to chill. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not good. Right. 
Um, but they, oh, they well first they said it's weird without the sound. I'm like, well, we could probably add another condition without too much trouble. So we added, we put noise canceling headphones in and added a sound, a fire with sound, fire condition, and then the upside down computer screen. Now they're still 15 minutes is still not long, and they're like, yeah, that was, was kind of nice. You know, I found them all relaxing. It's nice to not have to do anything for 15 minutes. So it's like, okay, let's have three 15 minute conditions then. Now you're in here for 45 minutes staring at a screen. Take that. <laughs> that wasn't so relaxing most of the time. In fact, a lot of people came out of there going, that was really annoying. And I was like, good. good. That was the point of the study. Mission accomplished. Right? We, we want to see if fire can relax you. Like, so without stressing you, stressing you, you know, we mildly stressed you, right? And so what we what we found is, yeah, we, we got a, a statistically significant relaxation effect. In other words, we took the blood pressure before and after each condition. So we measured the change from pre to post in systolic and diastolic. And we saw a really small effect that was significant. We sent that off for publication and we got um, one of our reviewers who is an evolutionary psychologist named Matt Rosano, who um, disclosed who he was. Uh, I had asked him to be a reviewer um, anonymously he disclosed himself and so i knew who he was and he he he's written on this topic as well so i was uh i, I knew of his credibility and his ideas were sound and he had said enough uh, a blank computer screen is not really like a fire so as a control condition it's not quite getting at what i think you're getting at what if you take a picture of a fire or take a screenshot of the fire you're using and better yet oh, wow. turn that upside down so you still have all the same features just they're not quite the same right hmm. so that's what we did and we ran the study a fourth time um got the same results but that control you know was i think a better control i liked it and it, i felt comfortable with it and so that study came out in evolutionary psychology in 2014 um showing that there is a statistically significant relaxation effect even when the fire that you're experiencing is a fake fire it's only the fire with the sound it's in the middle of the day it's in a a room on ua's campus and there's a creepy researcher sitting behind you tapping away at a computer right like under those circumstances it was still calm still relaxing yeah to me that is the most important part right the fact yeah. that we could we could find a relaxation effect through a cloud of noise um, in an artificial environment. In an artificial environment. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that that's so that. Then how much greater is the real thing? That's that's the next piece of this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still hard to study that because of all of the 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 issues that are difficult to control. But um, there's an intermediate step that I'll, I'll leave out for just a second. But um, the upshot of that is, I have been doing some other research for the past several years, which is which has had my attention and this has been pun intended on the back burner for a bit until in the middle of the pandemic, when I got a, a cold email from um, a publicist or a, uh, an advertising company that handles the accounts for Napoleon fireplaces. Now I hadn't heard of them. They're huge in Canada and Europe. I guess they're the number one fireplace and grill manufacturer in the world outside the U S Wow, and um, 
they wanted they're interested in taking home fireplaces to a different place they're interested in marketing helping create healthy homes so fire not just fireplaces as sort of things that rich people play with and 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 send their money up the chimney of one because they're better at building them now they they are fuel efficient and two they they started to see uh exactly what what you guys said when we started this conversation we all have had this experience they were like we've always known this it never occurred to us to market the relaxation effects because we didn't really think about how important being able to relax in your home is for stress and your day-to-day well-being probably until this pandemic started right I think they'd reached out to me a little yeah. bit before that, but the pandemic really reinforced it for everyone because everyone has been stuck at home. And if you've got yeah. a nice home with a nice fireplace, it's completely different than if you're not in a nice home with not a nice fireplace, as we can all imagine. So so I now have a Napoleon fireplace hardwired into my office lab. It's the most overpowered fireplace for the amount of space so we can replicate <laughs> the study. Um, and that's starting up right now. We just uh, started recruiting folks this summer for for that. That's awesome. That's awesome. I can't I can't wait to see the commercials for those. Just nine <laughs> out of ten anthropologists say this is good for you. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actual research that proves this is good for you, so you should buy one of these. That's fantastic. Um, I I do find it interesting. You know, when you say that, there's I've I've seen a huge, and I own one, and Brian has does have one too. <laughs> I think part of it is like, you know, the algorithm for, you know, whether it be Facebook or, or, or whatever's listening to us, you know, markets things to me. Um, but smokeless fire pits, you uh-huh. know, outdoor fire pits have, man, there's, there's a ton of those now and those have gotten incredibly popular. And then one of the ones that we have that I have is set up where I can not only just, I can cook on it as well as just sit around and enjoy the smokeless outdoor fire pit. And, uh, man, I love it, man. I love staring at it and sitting around it and the community that we experience around it. But I've seen a lot more of those, like you said, similarly, maybe coming out of a season where we actually needed that. So I just did in beginning of March, I did a the barbecue patio and fire, it's a fireplace barbecue and patio expo in Atlanta. I did a, a talk for them for Napoleon had me out there to, to do a talk and I strategically put in my lecture a picture of myself at my outdoor fire pit because I've just got an old rusty metal thing that I nail holes in so it drains. <laughs> so I, I wanted them to see what I'm working with. Hey, you should try our new, yeah, our new model. And right after the talk, I had a guy come up to me and goes, you know, my daughter goes to UA. Roll Tide, fix you up. I'm going to fix you up with a smokeless fire pit for your backyard. Yes. I am still waiting yes. on it, but I was so happy and excited. I'm like, Come on. yes, that, all of that, that PhD totally paid off. <laughs> let's Money go. Well spent. <laughs> I was so with, you know, research and control and data aside in your personal, like your opinion what what about the fire causes that response that you discovered? What what do you think that is? I think it's a what my colleague Polly Wiesner pointed out. I think it's a combination of how humans interact with each other, the time of day they do it, 
Um, and it and in that that immersive experience that I mentioned, right? So when we choose, you know, and I I'll, I watch fire. I'll I'll start a fire, you know, even even right now, you know, 90 degrees out here. It's it's Alabama. We don't need a fire. I'll still put one in the backyard and sit there and watch it. You know, uh, it's, I'll sit there watching football next to the fire. You know, I mean, we're out, throughout Alabama, you find people doing that, right? So there's, oh yeah, it's it's not it's not the heat. It's not anything that anybody needs. So it's, we're doing that time of day and, and the, the dropping off of our, our circadian rhythms is really, really mm. important. Right. So most of us are out of touch with those. I think um, if you're, if folks are like me and they, they sleep as late as they can, cause you know, in summer and, and then stay up late, you're liable to get a little out of whack with your circadian rhythms. But, but um, naturally when the sun comes up, you wake up and when the sun goes down, you get sleepy. That's the circadian yeah. rhythms, and right. it makes it easy to sit around a fire and relax. Mm-hmm. Then, right, because you're you're just mm-hmm. chilled out. The fire uh, illuminates the only part that you can see. It's dark everywhere else, so you're you're having a basically you're a sensory funneling toward that one area. This is where mm-hmm. the sound is coming from. Mm-hmm. This is where the light is coming from. Um, one of the pieces that I think is most important is called orienting response. And this is sort of what I've honed in on in my research. It comes from Pavlov. He suggested that orienting response is the, this, the, the micro stress response you get when there's something novel in your environment and you're sort of startled and you look at it and you, you have a small, so your heart sort of jumps slightly uh, and you, you attend to it and you're, Oh, it's no big deal. And you relax again. Right. One of the things in a, when you're outside and it's dark, the light, the firelight plays all sorts of havoc with our receptors, right? It's very uh, trance inducing and it causes lots of visual distortions and it's constantly triggering our orienting response, right? Whether it's the crackle mm-hmm. of something or throwing sound or just the way the light flickers, we're kind of constantly, I think, having our orienting response toggled on and off. Hmm. And what I think is happening is that it's a mini stress response. So um, when your stress response, for for your stress response to turn off, right? Your stress response is the production of uh, neurotransmitters that have jobs like cortisol, which is called a stress hormone. Now, the reason that's important is because uh, it gets to a certain level, which mobilizes you, but if it keeps going, you're going to have a heart attack and die, right? You don't want your heart pounding that hard. So your stress response gets up and then it turns off. And I always sort of describe it as like a toilet, even though it's not quite like a toilet, but it's that sort of like it fills up and then it's got to have a stop point. So as soon as you stress out, your body is turning your stress response back off again. And the way it does that is by releasing endorphin, oh, right? Yeah. Which is endogenous morphine, yeah. which feels awesome, of course, like morphine. So if there's a if if you're toggling that switch off and on, off and on, you're basically hitting the morphine pump, right? <laughs> that's amazing. It's that's it's it's a it's an analogy, and it's not as strong as morphine, obviously, mm-hmm. but I think that's what we're getting at. And the reason that I think that. And this was the intermediate step I mentioned. I think that a lot of our interest in 
multimedia and in screens, television. One of the reasons television is so compelling is for the same reasons that fires are so compelling. We are a visually oriented species. Mm -hmm. So anything, especially visual, that catches our attention causes us to, to look, right? So flickering fire and TV have similar responses. And they've done the studies um, in, in media studies showing that the flicker rate causes that orienting response. Mm. So I think what's happening, that same sort of like chilled out effect that you get from watching TV to a certain extent is similar wow. to what you get from a fire. Or we should put it the opposite from an evolutionary perspective. Right. The same effect that fire has been producing on us for probably at least 750,000 years, which is when we probably started controlling fire definitively, probably longer, right? Um, we've been we've, we've, we've getting that effect. And when television came along, it gave us the same effect. And of course, then we gravitate toward it with the same sort of like, you know, we get the same benefits out of it. So it's some biological imperatives. And I, mm -hmm. if I can just throw one more thing in, because I think there's still a lingering question of why we need to do this. <laughs> like, why do we need to relax? I mean, it feels good. Yep. Right. Yeah. But right. our, my dog doesn't want to sit by the fire. He's a social, a social species, a member of a social species, right? Like we're unique in gathering around this semi-dangerous thing, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I and I last year burnt my shed down. So stupidly <laughs> gathering around, <laughs> just from my fire pit, by the way. Um, not the new one. Yeah, no, not the new one. Um, so one of and and what this book is about is is consciousness. Consciousness is costly. No one, knowing that nobody agrees on anything is stressful. So we need to relax. We need to lower our stress because otherwise it's not worth this brain. Mm. It's too stressful to know all that shit out there. Mm. So having these forms of relaxation has, have, has always been, I argue, critical to our species to be able to survive, to be able to use our brains uh, in other ways, which is to know what some people are doing, to know, to be able to think in the abstract, but not to be able to think about everything in the abstract, right? So fires help us put our blinders on and keep them on, help us self-soothe. Hmm. And we, we can all yeah. relate to that part. Man. Yeah. I mean, Brian and I joke all the time calling it caveman TV. Now we have justification for that yeah. term. Oh, there's some great, there's some great memes on, on there's a great piece in Smithsonian that was like advice to homo erectus parents about uh, fire, uh, limiting your, your kids fire time. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it's awesome. Oh, I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll have to pull it. I, I, I used it in an article. Um, so w the intermediate piece that we did was was comparing fire to TV. And we, we wanted to see if people got the same relaxation effects from TV that they get from fire. And that's hard because you got to choose your show. So I tried to choose some boring anthropology videos for them to watch. <laughs> and we basically got the same effect. I just haven't published it yet. So TV and fire <laughs> seem to have similar relaxation effects, even when it's boring. Yeah, and I, you know, yeah, you're talking cool. about the endorphins being released to the the different lights and all that. You, you look at what University of Alabama did with the the stadium lights, and look at what Auburn has done with the stadium lights. I mean, it 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 gets people's it, it makes people feel good, you know. It gets people pumped up, and uh, there's now you've got the science behind it. And 
Yeah. I, you know, fish tanks, lava lamps, I think they all similarly are in the same sort of neck of the woods in that regard. So, yeah. Fascinating. One, Utterly fascinating. One thing you mentioned was a, uh, you know, how inter- individuals react or, or interact around a fire. And um, I, th- this podcast is being recorded in May and it will be launched in the fall. But just a couple of days ago, I spent three days on the uh, on the Appalachian Trail with some friends. And so we were backpacking through there and at night we would have a fire and it seemed to kind of just be conducive for conversation and just contemplation and reflection. And uh, what you said about the fire just really illuminates the faces and everything else is blackened. I mean, we're sitting up there on the top of this bald at this campsite, you know, eight miles from civilization. We had just seen two bears, you know, the only thing we could see were those people in front of us. Um, but what, so what do you think about, is there a, a relationship between the relaxation aspect and the contemplation and reflection aspect that brings out conversation around a fire? Hmm. That's a good question. So I think, so I mean, I have so many thoughts on that because one of one of the study models that we had when I had a master's student interested in pursuing this at one point was to send him up to the Appalachian Trail at one of those spots and just every t- every night as people came and camped there to do the study on them and to to collect collect those data. And then I had another option. Um, John Gukin, who is the research coordinator for the National Outdoor Leadership School, saw this as a really good way to get folks who were training in, in, in uh, the outdoor wilderness training uh, and, and developing their leadership skills to learn how to self-soothe um, and, and find that. So to answer your question, you know, that was a little shucking and jiving as I, as I th- thought about it. But, you know, I think part of it is, is again, that time of day, right? Like, when you get up in the morning, all those hormones, uh, the neurotransmitters, that, that circadian rhythm is mobilized to get you moving and to think about the, the, the tasks that you have during the day, right? So I don't know about you guys, but when I wake up, you know, there's a few minutes to come into life. And then once I come to life, you know, the, the number of things that I have to do that day start jumping through my head, yeah, right? Yeah. It's not voluntary it is a (laughs) direct consequence of those neurotransmitters those hormones starting their job right Right. um i i don't think uh integratively during the day most of the time right um and and so i think what you're describing with those ideas coming is, is that integrative thinking. And this is really what some of those theorists that I was talking about earlier were getting at. They were trying to understand like, how does, how do we get from, and this is a little bit left field, but it's, it's similar. How do we get from being Neanderthal who have a brain that is the same size and bigger in some senses who are also probably using fire, also painting their bodies and experience and have culture. Like, how do we get from that to humans who have just like basically exponentially taken those few cultural trappings and turned them into an iPhone, Hmm. right? Like just the exponential (laughs) 
integration of, of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that some scholars have talked about is how the brain and our social lives might mirror each other in space. Um, this guy, Stephen Miffin, uh, is a cognitive archaeologist who wrote about how maybe the brains resemble the living floors of some of the species. And by that, we mean like where they organized their activities, right? So you could have a fire and cook things there and you could flit nap over there and you could strip the hides over there, right? You could do it all during the day and then at night, you just go to sleep or that fire seems to be extending the day. You could just keep going and doing all those activities, just move them closer to the fire, keep doing your activities while you talk to each other. And then you might actually learn stuff about how other people are doing things. And this is what they, their, the idea is that Mithin was proposing. He felt Homo sapiens seemed to be able to take new ideas from one uh, intelligence. This is actually comes out of, uh, what's his name? Gardner's multiple intelligences idea from the the 60s or whatever. Um, like you could have like flip napping people over there show painting people over here how to do something new. I mean, we borrow things and and use them in novel ways all the time now. This is what we call creativity. Right. But if you don't have the capacity to think outside the box, then that doesn't happen. And part of it just means bringing things together. Now, mm. I mentioned Neanderthal because he was trying to say Neanderthals couldn't do this the way humans did. And his argument was that when you look at Homo sapiens living floors, you see everything oriented around the hearth. But when you see Neanderthals living floors, they seem to be disjointed, like they weren't even integrating in physical space. He was saying maybe the, men the cognitive ability is similar, and it may have to do with the, the way the brains are wired. We don't know. Um, we don't know, one, what Neanderthal brains look like, and two, I think he was wrong about Neanderthal uh, living floors because there's data coming out now on Neanderthal fire use. But the point is – and this is not directly answering your question, but it's sort of a, a roundabout way of saying like those contexts where they found to be social and do lots of activities around a fire together at that time of day when you're sort of like kind of loose and willing to listen to other and don't have like, I'm just much more willing to listen. I'll go to a mm -hmm. rock show at night. I don't want to go to one in the morning. <laughs> That's very you know? true. I want to, I want to listen and be talked at at night, not in the morning, yeah. you know? So I think that all those circumstances play together to sort of give that, you know, whether it was a hundred thousand, 200,000 years ago or now the fire in the evening is a completely different animal or at night in your house, you know, like when you're relaxed. Wow. That's yeah, so good. That. That's so interesting. Like the having it around in a central place. That's so cool. I love it. Which is also how we, we do our TVs too, right? So again, we, we, yep. yeah, sure. we sort of wrap our lives around these things. Yep. Yeah. What uh I love me. Caveman. I feel so justified in caveman. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just clever, like this is real. This is a real thing. There's a um why why does sitting around the fire invite story? Now <laughs> now we're we're going from 
creating things or tanning hides where we're, you know, making, you know, you know, arrowheads, you know, we're, we're now we're not just talking about technology and how do we get better at living, but now story, like why does one is, cause that's really what we care about a lot on this podcast yeah. is story. Why, why does it seem like, I mean, campfire stories is that's such a stereotypical cliche because that's where stories happen. Yeah, it is. I mean, well, again, this is why I think, you know, TV became so successful, right? right. Like this is what we have done since our species evolved. I, I you know, 300,000 years for homo sapiens, but I, I, there's great evidence that homo erectus were also sitting around. So 700, 800,000 years of sitting around fires when language evolves, uh, you know, people are talking to each other. Um, they don't have TV until recently. They don't have radio until recently. Uh, and they don't have cars until recently. So the only, the only way you're exchanging social information is, is by talking. And the time when everybody's sort of sitting around um, together is, is at the fire. Now, yeah. it's, a, it's a great time. Uh, I mean, it, this is how we, we get kids to do stuff. I mean, I think all stories are basically manipulating kids to get them to do stuff, right? <laughs> you know, like I, I tell my kids stories mm. and they always have messages because I want them to do stuff. I'll tell you a story to inspire you to do this task that I want you to do because I need you to know how to do it, right? Mm. So, uh, you know, I took my kid to get his driver's license today and I told him like 700,000 stories about me and other people I knew getting their driver's licenses to make him feel better, less anxious, all those things. And I think that is, you, you don't need a, a, a reason to tell a story. We tell stories just as a, a matter of course mm. to like mm. manipulate the people around us. Mm. It's, we have to, otherwise nothing gets done. So I think that, you know, like, and, and some of us are really good at it and like it. I, I have a fondness for words you may have noticed. So I am, you know, I love the opportunity to, to tell a story and there's nothing that gets me going more than, than my kids asking me like even a half, if they even like, have a, a questioning tone in a sentence they say i'm ready to tell them a story right you know so i you know that's the dad in me but that that's that's a biological imperative you know i don't there's there's we don't need a that's cultural good. reason to 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 figure out why humans would want to tell stories it's train the kids manipulate the kids keep the kids in line <laughs> it sounds like there may be some uh, opportunity for um cross departmental uh research with you in communication i mean that 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 would be a really cool study yeah i feel like you maybe you already have a ploy for your wherever you have to do your lectures has to have one of your uh napoleon fireplaces in it right yeah yeah like just have the fireplace behind you as you lecture i mean and they're they're so uh, plus there's i don't know if you've had the opportunity to see or play with them but i had when i went to this convention the uh, the amount of like the the degree of manipulation that they have with these fireplaces is incredible but but yeah you you couldn't i could not have done better than i think i had a napoleon fireplace right below me as i was up on this stage and a big <laughs> banner that was like the psychology of fire and i was just like wow 
it was almost like being in a TED talk, <laughs> except they couldn't get the monitors in front of me to work. So I still had to keep looking down on my piece of paper. But but yeah, it's it's been an incredible ride. I'm I'm really grateful. Uh, you know, I I always say I I, I have a, a knack for doing studies to uh, prove to people what they already knew to be true, and they they love it. Um, this this study went viral. It is it is, you know, I've I've done so many interviews from just that one article uh, over the years and obviously I continue to do this research but every year around Christmas I get calls uh, about this because it's topical and, and um, I think that folks folks have a scientific intuition right we all have a folk physics uh, so for for folks you know sometimes science seems highfalutin but when when our intu intuitive understandings can be scientifically, established it's really it's really satisfying for folks to to realize that mm -hmm. they they do understand how the world is working they are sensing it correctly as it is wow that's that's a good way to good way to put it you, you know it, it, brad and i we had always thought about these things but to find someone who's like yes you put science behind it. It it, it is a real thing. <laughs> That's that. It's a real it's a real thing. The way you experience the world is valid. There is a there there. That's funny. Just because you think it's cool and popular doesn't demean right. it in terms of science. Right. That's one of the other things that I think is really important. Is people think, uh, I'll just say the other thing that I study a lot is tattooing, which is very pop culturally. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, if it's that popular. We damn well should be paying attention. Yeah, there's something. If to it's it. that central to our everyday life, we need to understand it really well. Mm. You know, do you spend a lot of time around the fire, like around the campfire or anything like that? Not as much as you would probably think. I do like to build them in my backyard and sit around, uh, sit around that one a lot. I and I spend more time by myself around it than you would than you would imagine either. I'm I'm a like probably a problematic fire watcher, like a problematic drinker. I watch fires alone. <laughs> so do you, is there a, uh, is there a, is there a favorite story you like to tell around a fire? Uh, it, it's okay to say no. I mean, if, especially if you're sitting around a fire by yourself. Yeah, no, not around the fire. No, my stories are really about the, the fire research and yeah. the, the burning half of my house down. And, you know, stuff <laughs> that like sounds that. like a story in itself. This is quite a, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he took, uh, Dr. Christopher Lynn, he took the fire watching a little too serious. He did. You know, I was, I was working on my, um, my, my compost heap too. I'm a big gardener. So I was like creating ash to, to get the, the acid pH balance right in my compost. And it was last year, just everything was too dry and my shed was too dry and there was a spark there. And I thought I put it out. Mm. Gosh, man. So, sidebar, this is a total geek out note. So, you're telling me when I clean out my fire pit, should I put some of my ashes in my compost? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's, oh, that's yeah. the game changer. Put them all in there. Okay. Like, that's right. that's important. That's that's important for the 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 acid pH balance, yeah. So, is it a uh, especially garden, the, tip, the, garden tip for the day? That's happening. The peppers. It, Love that. Is it considered a, uh, a carbon or nit nitrogen? Yeah. I think it's a nitrogen. It nitrogen? Oh, that's I'm, good. I'm not. I'm not super awesome on on okay. that. I just, dude, that's yeah. great to know. Totally I've got my compost. I mean, I'm see. I'm looking at it from my my window right here. So, yeah, I was burning that's down awesome. all the scrub and cleaning up my yard, and 
put and putting it in there and I had just gone and collected my neighbor's uh lawn clippings and I squirted it down with water but I, I didn't squirt enough threw his clippings on top of it and his clippings are super dry went to Home Depot to get something and my neighbor called me and is like you better get home your house is burned down I'm like I just left that's impossible oh, no. they're like well, we're breaking your door down to get the dog and we're called the fire department I'm like don't break my door down as soon as I got home and I'm like oh my god I'm so happy they broke my door down holy <laughs> got all my dogs out but the smoke was like barreling out because it had shot right through my attic and the smoke damage was worse than I'm anything. glad your dogs were okay. Golly. Got the yeah. dogs out. I had I the fire people were yelling at me because I have a husky and three chihuahuas and the husky bit someone and went and hid and one of the chihuahuas <laughs> nobody knew we had is about this big and was hiding up in a box spring and I had to keep calling his name so he'd get his thing to jingle so I could find him. Oh my goodness. Oh my wow. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> my wife's not mad that's, at me anymore well that's oh, good we yeah. <laughs> glad you guys are past that yeah. you know, one of the things we like to do at the end of our episode is ask what's your next adventure and you alluded to it earlier in the in the episode I think and you were talking about this new research that you're doing you've got some I don't know if it's grant money or something some research money to look at fireplaces or something like that so Tell us what's your next adventure, and it could be even in the research realm. So uh, Napoleon Fireplaces um, reached out to me during COVID, and they um, we came to an agreement. They wanted they wanted to replicate the original study and see if folks would get the same benefit uh, from an electric fireplace, right? Because um, as the world uh, pays more attention to, to, to climate change. They're, they're concerned about building fireplaces that are, are, you know, harmful to the environment. So uh, they started looking into electric fireplaces and, and, and those are really popular and they were, they're interested in whether the health benefits that you get from watching a fire on, on a computer screen would accrue to fires for, you know, the kinds that they build. And some of them look like, fireplace fires and some of them have sort of different looks so um they funded they gave us a a a nice chunk of change they gave us a fireplace and uh 50 grand to which is funding my uh a phd student for a period of time that's awesome yep so um we're hope we're hoping that's to start so we are doing data collection right now in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, if anyone's interested. Anyone who participates in the study gets a $20 gift card and gets entered into a drawing to get a, uh, I think it's a $500 uh, Napoleon grill. Wow. So uh, anyone listen, uh, hopefully the study will be over by the time folks listen, but you never know. Um, We're going to hopefully be collaborating with Napoleon for, for some time. Um, we have cool. lots of ideas. They have lots of ideas and they have lots of fireplaces. So, um, you know, we want to see what it, what it's like inside, outside, different times of day, different types yeah. of fire. Um, and, you know, and I also just want to put out there that, you know, I can't possibly uh, corner the market on all this. This is, it's weird how something that is so central to the human experience and so important to the evolution of our species is so understudied in some ways you know there's there's just certain things that we just like they're so right in front of us we miss them and this is one of them 
it's been studied in certain ways, like for eating and things, but in terms of how it affects our cognition, you know, our emotions, the things that we think about constantly all day long, it's not been studied well enough at all. Um, one of my colleagues uh, also involved in this study um, is at the University of Illinois, and they are looking at the uh, impacts of this relaxation in geriatric populations. So they're trying to use it to help people in, in uh, assisted living facilities relax uh, so that they can be more explorative, right? So this is, this is the next piece of this, right? Like when you're relaxed, you're more engaged and joyful and more interested in learning new things. When you're stressed, Absolutely. you're like, I don't want to learn anything new. I just want to get through the shit I get through. And they find that people in nursing homes, they either tend toward exploration or exploitation. Exploration is that enrich your life. Exploitation is doing what you know how to do to get done. So that that is also part of this study. And I'm excited about, about both of them because I think that once we get this information out there, once we get these studies out there, it's not just about those of us who have already uh, enjoyed the fire pits that we have in our homes, but to realize the, that there's even more potential there that we can exploit for our, our family members and our loved ones. That's, I guess the, the, the big question is, can I get a doctor's prescription <laughs> for... <laughs> Well, if you can get it from miracle, that medical, new fireplace. Mar medical marijuana, then 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 probably we're not too far off. <laughs> not too far off. The doctor's written a prescription for a new fireplace it's, for my house. It is healthier. It's, it's than, good for my health. It is healthier than smoking weed. So yeah. There hey, we go. Chris, so one last thing. You know, this is kind of off script, but I, I, I and I, I realize that you know the the work that you do doesn't always lead to something you know it, it, sometimes it's just answering the question you know sometimes it's just exploring something but is there an a is there something that you would like to see your research do or contribute to uh in a practical way bringing it down to a consumer level uh, even is there something in there that you would like to what what would you like to do other than answer the question or is answering the question enough for you Answering the question is enough for me in, in, in one sense, because what is so profoundly exciting is what we're doing here, right? right. We're talking about science. I'm telling you the nuts and bolts of, of the scientific method and, and, and demystifying it so that anyone can understand how we got the results that we got and why we think it is. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not magic. It does look right. like magic sometimes. So my objective is less that I want fire to do something for people than to think, I want people to think about their everyday world and their everyday lives and some of the things that we take for granted that we don't really understand all that well and how easy it is to actually turn around and investigate that. Like turning kids into everyday scientists or, or someone who never thought science was for them, that they can approach something in their own life in a scientific way and come out with a little bit deeper understanding of it i think that to me is more is more satisfying than any any particular thing about any of my particular research subjects my other subject that i i spend a lot of time on as i said is tattooing not because i think tattooing is so important but because it's a really good avenue into the human experience and i think fire is similar right uh, and i love that answer you know i love the fact that getting people thinking of this way and thinking of it as, 
you know, there, there, there's got to be more to it, you know, that and having some a few answers, you know, you might we're not, we're not ever gonna have all the answers, but it's all um, it's fascinating to think that you know there's there's something in there that that draws us to this, and um, it's it's just a, a and, neat way to look at it. And even asking the question, if we can get people to ask the question, because sometimes when we talk about it, people are like, oh, I never even, you know, like stuff that you'd never ever, and I'm not gonna conduct a study on that, but like. The question never even occurred to me until a few years ago. Now, why would it? But I, I work with that kind of, but what I'm trying to say is like, ask silly questions about banal things because it gets you to start thinking, like nobody notices this. Like that, there's a problem here. Like we, it, if something as simple as that, it's like, okay, it's not like, it's not a problem in that we need to solve how they did this, but there's a physics issue like, did toenails used to keep growing? Do they ever stop? Is there is there a molecular mechanism that no one has been paying attention to? So just silly questions like that get us to start thinking about like our physiology and our anatomy and our genetics in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. I mean, that's a, for us. I mean, that's what drove us to look around and find go, why is this this way? Because, I mean, every other conversation with guests or stories that we tell, you know, comes you know, comes from an experience around, you know, sitting around the fire, um, with a group of friends. Uh, there are a few, you know, a few things. I mean, Lewis, C.S. Lewis makes this, this comment in one of his letters. Is there any pleasure greater than a group of Christian friends around the fire? Um, and he's right. I mean, there is such a great, there's a, a relaxation and an enjoyment and it's a joy, a literal joy to sit around a fire with a group of guys or a group of friends to just not have an agenda and talk and stare at the flames and just be, you know, and a fire causes us to do that sometimes. Unlike, I think, unlike the television, you know, when for a television, like it's doing that for us and we're just watching it and we're zoning out. But when we're around a fire with a group of people, then we're actually a little more engaged, but we still have something to stare at. Um, gives, it gives us the space, yeah. Right? It doesn't yes. cost. It gives us the space, yep. and and I'll I'll push back just a bit on the TV thing because I think when the TV takes the space away when the show's on, it becomes the story. Turn it yeah. down on mute, and you might you might. So one of the reasons I think like this is because when I was twenty three, I used to get free drinks at this bar in New York City. So I felt obliged to go there after work every day because I got free drinks. It's a silly thing, but nonetheless. So I go there and and uh, they have a, a a loop on the TV that's just going, 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 going. And there's nothing. It was dark in there, so there's nothing to do but just stare at that loop. And if there's anyone to talk to, I would talk to him. But I would talk to him, and my eyes would still be up there because it's what I could focus on. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and I always come back to that thinking, like I just, your eyes just get hold to those things and yes i would much rather talk to someone and i yeah. definitely did but i still looked at the screen as my as my focal point yeah i, I I've, I've seen this trend and you know and it's gonna like it's gonna take somebody like you to study it but like i don't know what it is i do not like to have a tv in the restaurant that i go to or the bar that i go to because i think it takes away from the the whole ambiance i think it takes away from the atmosphere 
I don't know. It it seems like it would maybe there may be more conversation going if there wasn't a TV. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. when that happened. I, I would love to see a study on if TVs add to or take away from the experience within a social setting. Yeah, no, that I I imagine in media studies that has been done. Yeah. Um, I just te- put my toe into that field when I started looking at television addiction and as as a as an analog and I. And I started thinking about that because I took my kids to the doctor and they'd have TVs up there with cartoons on and no sound in the doctor's offices. And the kids would be staring at those TVs and we'd be talking to them and they would just be like, and I'm like, the sound's not even on guys. Can you pay attention to us a little bit? And I'm like, wow, that's just like the fire. These kids are completely enthralled. That's so true. You know? That's amazing. And, um, um, an article I read by uh, Robert Robert Kuby and uh, Chicks and Mahaley Chicks and Mahaley. His name is Mahaley Chicks and Mahaley. You may have heard of him. Um, he, <laughs> I just like saying that name. Uh, he, yeah, they wrote an article. Awesome. Television addiction is no mere metaphor. And they, in in, in the article, uh, the guy is saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a I'm a television. Uh, researcher, but if I'm talking to someone and there's a TV on in the background, even though I know I should keep my eyes, I to to the person I'm talking to, even as a television researcher, knowing everything I know, I can't help but to look at it. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's just so compelling. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Right. and that's where I got that orienting response. Right, that that flickering, like that that feeling compelled by something. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of issues with television, but there are pieces of it that that. Resemble Absolutely, that. yeah, that's so good. And it's been such a. I was looking forward to this, and it, it didn't did disappoint. not disappoint. Such an interesting, oh, interesting but, topic and conversation, man. Thank you for uh, for taking time to to join us, man. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to oblige. As you can tell, I I can talk all day, and, and <laughs> I love I, lo- it. I love talking about this subject. So it's been so good. What? How? How can? Um, you've said a few things about how how people can uh, can join you guys but obviously this will you know air much after you know your research is done but you talk about your book how can people get a hold of your book so my book is uh called transcendental medication like transcendental meditation but medication Mm -hmm. right so a little play on words there uh the evolution of mind culture and healing it's on rutledge press but you can get it on amazon um you can find uh me and my website uh just Google Christopher Lynn University of Alabama and you'll find me and I'm on all the socials many times over. So that's awesome. Well, I'll make sure all of that's, uh, we'll have all that in our show notes cool. for people to, to find your book and, uh, support your work and to learn more about, uh, learn more about your, your research, man. That's awesome. Appreciate it. And, uh, in a year or so we should have some fireplace money results. Uh, so feel free to give me a call. I'll be happy to yeah. share we'll those results. Circle back around. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great, man. Uh, we love we love this conversation. I mean, we we oft, often will call the podcast uh, our digital campfire conversation, where we can just circle up and just share stories and share life and and learn and have conversations. And we've gotten to meet so many interesting people. And uh, man, that certainly includes you, Chris. And man, just love love uh, hearing all about this and hearing all about this science. And ultimately, our, our goal is for these stories to encourage people. Be some. Uh, there's so much that's divisive and there's so many conversations that aren't encouraging that aren't uh, 
just good to listen to. This has been such a good listen and a great topic and something that I'm sure people have thought about much like we have thought about. And we hope these things in, encourage people to write stories, to share their own stories. Maybe they go build a, build a fire this evening and sit around the fire and go, oh yeah, that's why I feel this way whenever I sit around the fire and, uh, and continue. And I'll enjoy it all the more. Now I have, you know, I'll, uh, I'll love my caveman TV joke because it's not a joke. It's truth. It's science, man. And, uh, it's science. And, uh, but I'll also, you know, my time around the fire will be even more rich than it already is because now I understand it better. So thank you for that. My pleasure. Um, man, as we have this conversation, we, you know, we joked, we don't make any money off of this either, but we are trying to grow it and share this conversation with people. And if people want to do that, they can leave us a review on iTunes and uh, a rating on Spotify. If you use Spotify, you can find us on all the different platforms. And, uh, but if you want more, uh, information, um, you can join us on our website at www.thestoriedoutdoors.com, uh, for more information, um, show notes, and we'll have your book, Chris linked on there and um, and then ways people can follow your research somebody may be inspired to do their own research and maybe some researcher or doctoral student go ah an idea will spark from this and they will go do their own research and write some papers and maybe you'll gain some colleagues out of this conversation Beautiful. phenomenal but uh, man we hope this ins- inspires people to write their own stories and do what we call share their own adventures and what we love to call the storied outdoors Brad Hill here. There is no better way to share a story than around a campfire. And if you are in the Mobile Bay area, there is no better place to get firewood than our friends at Mobile Bay Firewood. This is a family-owned business, and I personally love using their easy-to-light kiln-dried firewood in my fire pit. So use promo code MBFTSO for $15 off of your next order at mobilebayfirewood.com. Longtime friends of the podcast, the Growley Leather Company is a family-owned leather goods company in southern Alabama. All of their leather goods are designed and handcrafted to come alongside you in your daily life, share in your adventures, and reflect your character. Brian and I both enjoy products from Growley Leather. So visit GrowleyLeather.com and use promo code TSO2022 for a 15% discount at checkout. Find you a leather journal and fill it with stories from the storied outdoors.